Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. I've been released from TSA custody after sending you guys suspicious Vikings videos from the airport. It's good to be back. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk. If you listen closely, you can hear Ryan Wright booming another punt out there somewhere. Listen. Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network. I ain't afraid of no ghost. <laughs> Luke Braun, Locked On Vikings. I am. <laughs> it's another monday podcast. episode after a vikings victory of the minnesota football party let's go locked on sports minnesota podcast it's endless minnesota vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts it's time for the minnesota football party it's your guys hanging out, talking next-level Vikings football. Plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. The Vikings are 5-1, and one, and my name is Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota and the Ron Johnson Show. Joined, as always, by this foursome of fellas talking Minnesota Vikings football endlessly for the next hour. It's Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spinman, Luke Braun, at Luke Braun NFL, and Arif Hassan, a pro football network, at Arif Hassan NFL. On today's show, we've got myriad topics to get into. Is ugly winning sustainable for the Minnesota Vikings? What is the story of their four-game winning streak, and what is the biggest thing they need to fix after the bye, how much credit does Kirk Cousins deserve for the 5-1 and one start the Vikings are currently on? Before we get into it, a reminder that Locked on Sports Minnesota is available on the Amazon Fire and Roku apps. You can download those for a seamless viewing experience and get all of our shows on Locked on Sports Minnesota. The Minnesota Football Party, of course, the Ron Johnson Show, Superior Sports Talk, and the Locked on Vikings postcast hosted by Luke Braun. Luke and I talked yesterday about the Minnesota Vikings going to 5-1. and one. And Luke Braun, I'll start with you today. What is the story of the four-game winning streak on which the Vikings are currently on with each win seemingly of the ugly variety? What do you make of it? I'll defer to Patrick Peterson, who's talked about this a couple times. Zimmer used to talk about it a lot, too. They are learning on the go but they're learning after wins. If they can find something that they can get a little better at every time, if they can just like clean up just, you know, 10% of their mistakes every time by season's end, they'll be, I think they'll be able to become a team that is, we can take a little more seriously than we can take right now. But winning in spite of all that and having all those wins in your back pocket is great. So they get to go to, to go home with a win and then still work on their things, that is a great spot to be. And whether or not it's earned or sustainable or whatever, the position is great. Vikings are second in the league in one-possession victories behind only the New York Giants. And I think people nationally look at those two teams and they say, frauds, you're all fakes. Luke Enman. Is there such thing as a fraudulent 5-1 and one NFL football team? 
I mean, you are what your record says, right? But I, I just go back to what Luke mentioned that like, you know, when you go all the way back to the last two years under Zim and they lost so many close games that they probably should have won. Well, you bring KOC in and honestly, it's more or less the same cast, right? Like you swap what bar out for Jordan Hicks, Michael Pierce for Jordan Phillips, but offensively pretty much the same exact starters. And now they're winning games versus what they did under Zimmer it was Harrison Smith who said, KOC, when he got here, he really dialed everything back, simplified things, and just hammered those end-of-the-game situations where they got burned under Zimmer in those last two minutes, and that's allowed the defense not to think so much and just go react and go play. Offensively, you know when they need a drive, no matter how bad the offenses look, Kirk has just showed up, drives the team down the field, and gets it done, and the third factor, the special teams just in general this year has just been really good. And they're always a huge deciding factor in close games. So more times than not, when the team lost those close games, it was the defense failing those last two minutes or the special teams missed field goals, missed extra points. Those two areas have improved just enough to turn those losses into wins. A lot more to talk about the other 58 minutes. That makes you think it's probably not sustainable. But I also just feel like just in general, I think maybe Arif brought this up last week, the quality of NFL play this year has just been really down and sometimes actually just bad. And the Vikings are far from perfect or even a great team. Yeah, they're 5-1, and one, but I don't think a lot of people, like you mentioned, Sam, would call them great. But they're playing above average in all three phases. And just in general, they're playing teams that are average or below average in a lot of different mm -hmm. scenarios. And they're cashing in on it. I mean, there's only a handful of teams out there I think are would be considered elite. I know the Eagles, the Bills, the Chiefs, kind of the top three that come to mind. We already saw what happened versus the Eagles once this year. We're going to find out what's going to happen versus the Bills, I think, in Week 10. Safe to assume they'll be touchdown underdogs. They'll probably lose that game. But the drop-off from those elite teams to the rest of the league, it seems so big this year compared to other years. And the Vikes are just taking advantage of that. They're piling up wins, and they're trying to keep improving every week, like Luke mentioned, in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, Arif, I want to get to you here. So all, all of these can be true. The Vikings are 5-1. and one. That's an amazing spot to be in, and there's a lot of teams that would love to be in the Minnesota Vikings position. It's also true that the Minnesota Vikings, and you pointed this out on Twitter, Arif, you're a good follow, that the Vikings themselves seem concerned with the way they're winning. The Vikings talk somberly almost about the corrections they want to make and how they feel like there's more on the table. Um, and they've said that now four weeks in a row, more or less. So while it is great they're five and one, everybody is looking at them and saying, this is good, but it has to get better if we want to be a Super Bowl team, not just a playoff qualifier. At what point are the Vikings just, they are who they are? Yeah, I think actually that's a, that's a more interesting question than the sustainability question, because I think um, people have kind of dug in their heels on the sustainability question. People like me think that it's not sustainable, that they'll probably go 500 uh, over the course of the rest of the season as a result of it, um, which, you know, is better, right, than the 2016 Vikings, who also started 5-1, and one, right? Um, but uh, the, the question about whether or not they can improve and get beyond this level of play so that the wins seem earned, more or less, right, um, is a really interesting one, right? 
you know, because I, I, I had this discussion about the Green Bay Packers, right? That the Packers will probably get in sync with their offense, that they'll get better, that they'll improve. I no longer think that about the Packers. I think that they're probably done for, and if those improvements come, it'll be too little too late. For the Vikings, I don't know, right? I, I think that there is a lot of opportunity here, mostly on offense. I think that there's a little bit less opportunity on defense because I think um, fundamentally the problem on defense is personnel related. I like a lot of these players individually, but I think that, um, the way that they want to run that defense, the the personnel is just not there. They need to add some more players. Maybe, you know, when Lewisine uh, is healthy next year, hopefully he will be, you know, that's something that they can add to the mix and make that defense a little bit more dynamic. But ultimately, I think the defense is only going to improve maybe modestly, probably from Daniel Hunter continuing to improve yet a great game. Um, but offensively, there's a lot to gain, right? The running game could improve a lot. I think that they're doing a lot of stuff interesting um, in terms of blocking. They're not just a zone running team. They're doing a bunch of gap scheme stuff that's really confusing teams that like to present, you know, a five-man surface. I think that that's really cool. That they, they can get in sync, right? They, Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson are not in sync, and Jefferson's still getting 100-plus, 100 150-yard games. Like, what could what could happen if they're on the same page throughout the entire game? What could happen if Kirk Cousins finally figures out the timing and the progression of this offense? Because I think that's kind of what's holding it back a little bit, is that he doesn't fully have a complete feel for how this offense is supposed to operate. What could happen when he does, and he's able to go through his progressions in a, in a meaningful way, and once Justin Jefferson is double-covered, he moves immediately. He clicks to the number two. He clicks to the number three and he targets you know adam Thielen, kj osborne irv smith or you know dalvin cook or cj ham or whoever is out in the pattern there's a lot for this offense to to gain i don't know that there's a lot for the defense a lot for the offense to gain frankly i'd rather the offense improve because that's more sustainable there's more talent on that side of the ball or there's more i think that you can get out of that um i if the offense does not improve over the next couple of games so we've got this bye week and then after that you've got you know another two weeks um, where I think that that's kind of where we have to say maybe it's just not going to happen. Uh, if coming out of the bye and then the week after we just don't see it, then I think we have to say, yeah, this is pretty much baked into cake. The Vikings are either going to have to win ugly or lose. With the defense in particular, I, I see a little more room to improve. I, I see a little more potential for improvement because I think a lot of the problems have been execution and communication related, especially in this Miami game. On both sides of the ball, communication was a catastrophe. And you saw it kind of happen on the sideline as as Kirk Cousins got frustrated and um, the defense has been miscommunicating all year. Um, and I think if they can clean those problems up, I, I don't think they can get to like an elite point because of the personnel issues that that Arif mentioned. Just They just kind of don't have... Daniel Hunter just isn't an outside linebacker in a 3-4. Like He's just not that kind of guy, at least not right now, maybe with an offseason to get more used to it. Um, you know, who, who's to say? But I think... For me, the more common issue that has led to more production on defense has been miscommunication, either straight up coverage busts or just slow communication and slow adjustment. But we even saw an example in this Miami game of an improvement there, um, the Patrick Peterson interception. If you look, Peterson and Harrison Smith are communicating with each other pre-snap on that. Um, I believe a coverage adjustment of some sort happened. And you saw how Patrick Peterson like slow played that, trusting that Harrison Smith would be able to get over the top and, and kind of cover his butt if, if um, that doesn't work. If Teddy Bridgewater finds him slow playing and then suddenly I think you would have Jalen Waddell or, or Tyreek Hill streaking down the field uncovered, you need the safety to cover you there. Um, that, that is a successful example of communication. And it's just a matter of making that kind of stuff more frequent and the sort of busty, where am I supposed to go, confusion happening less frequently. I do think that can happen over the course of the season. Um, and I, th if it doesn't, like, again, I, 
agree with Reef in that if you see the next like three games after the bye and they just don't look better at all, it's like, okay, they're just not going to figure this out. And it probably needs to be somebody else in the slot or whatever. Um, but I do see that there is a potential if they can kind of slow everything down on the bye here, self scout well, and work on that communication then I think they can shore up a lot more of the issues than it looks like on first glance with like soft coverage and scheme stuff. Cause a lot of that softness is guys being out of position because they didn't like pass it off. Right. Yeah. A lot of the yeah, softness I, is I, that I, Peterson runs a four, six. I'm just saying. And <laughs> <laughs> Cameron dancer plays. Cam. I'm just yeah. saying, dude. I'm just saying, I'm not saying. And that's not relevant to the future of the Vikings anyways. Cause Peterson's like, definitely yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. This year. definitely. You think he's For definitely, sure. I don't know. He should yeah, be. He's going to be I, I, definitely year. strong, but I I don't foresee him in purple, at least as a starter. Um, definitely, probably strong. I, yeah, fair enough. I think Arif's spot on that. There's just a lot more meat left on the bone for the offense, which is like 16th or 18th in scoring percentage. Kirk's QBR is 17. He can get a lot better, and just in general, this offense has proof that it can be better. It's shown that it can be better in previous iterations with similar personnel. They're not getting a lot out of wide receiver two right now. They're getting very little out of the tight end position, and they're getting very little out of the running game, except for a, a big run yesterday that was coming for six weeks that they, they just hadn't had anything. It felt like it had been forever, game. right? Like, yeah. like yeah. how long has it been it since was we saw 40 Awful. That was one of the worst run games days well, I've seen. His longest run up until that stickers. point was... 16 yards, I think, right? Yeah, he had the 22-yard right. lateral pass the week before from JJ, but 16 yards, like, mm -hmm. and he's a boomer bust kind of home run hitter. And when you don't get that big chunk or big splash play or big home run play at least once every other game, like, is that, am I asking for too much here? Can I get one every other game? But to <laughs> see five weeks go by and not get one, finally got one, that felt good. But I think you're right, Sam, a lot of the offensive issues, I think they start with the running game. What are they averaging? Under four yards per carry. And again, Dalvin Cook not giving you those big chunk, those big splash plays, not getting a lot. I'm interested. Uh, I don't know how much all 22 you guys have seen from this Miami game, but it seemed like uh, Kirk was not very confident that he could squeeze some throws into tight windows. Were those guys really that blanketed for the majority of the game? I haven't watched any all 22 or any film yet, but from what Jonathan Vilma was saying in the broadcast version, it seemed like the Dolphins surprisingly, and I know that Xavier Howard did play, but surprisingly did do a good job covering most of those guys downfield. Was, was that the and case? Kirk only had one deep attempt all game. 0 for 1 on downfield throws. I think that was the Thielen contested catch that he, that he couldn't haul in. So everything was underneath. In coverage, right? I don't. What? I feel like we what? watched Adam Thielen get old in real time in this game. Uh, Kick it blanketed maybe. by no Igbenogany, man. Uh, I I don't know. I I want to see the all twenty-two on Thielen versus Igbenogany because I oh for I, sure yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't trust that Adam Thielen wasn't open against him. Um, when when Howard was against Thielen, yeah, absolutely. That was that was mm -hmm. tight. Um, mm -hmm. Jefferson, um, and you know, Cousins actually did fit some of these double teams in. That was kind of cool, but yeah, Jefferson, you know, they 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 played the same strategies that they primarily doubled him, and a lot of times it was Xavier Howard and stuff like that. But you know, I thought KJ Osborne was doing a pretty decent job getting open and stuff like that. Again, so it's something that I want to be able to confirm later on. But I do think that there were opportunities to be had, and uh, I don't know if I don't know if it's less about confidence to fitting these tight windows. Now, uh, as a reminder, last week. Kirk Cousins didn't even have to fit a tight window. Every single completion was with a yard or greater mm -hmm. separation. But um, 
the uh, the I, I don't think it's I think it's more that he doesn't really know. I, I shouldn't say no. Is not comfortable with how the progression system works in this offense. It seems like something that that is just like he's either sticking too long with the progression or not sticking with it long enough, and he's not really figuring out kind of the right timing. I think it's like a lot of progressions are a series of like, yes, no's, right? Like, do I want that guy? No. Do I want that guy? No. Do I want that guy? No. Um, and sometimes you're reading a defender or whatever, but I think in those decisions and, and cousins talked about this before the season that philosophically yeah. Kevin O'Connell is different and wants something different than what Kirk cousins is used to. And I mm. think just getting used to that mm. is I, taking him longer. He, I, he feels a little bit slower through that progression um than he usually yeah. is and then i think just it's just yeah it's just getting used to it which is both like a criticism but also optimistic because that is the kind of thing that you get used to over time and that you can kind of expect to improve yeah i think proof of what you're saying too like on the touchdown throw to thielen it was yeah. almost jarring Great. to see kirk get to a third read and yeah. connect that way you're like whoa Kirk doesn't stand in like that and get to a third read. That was amazing. Backside and, of the play. Uh, I was told this yeah, was impossible. He, yeah, he usually doesn't get to his third read because it feels like he gets a little uh, panicky, shall we say, sometimes by that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it's true, like the, the pocket is collapsing by the time you get to your third or last read. Um, but we usually don't see that a lot from him. You're right. All right. I want your takes on whether the Vikings' fate could be the same as the 2016 team, the last team to start 5-1. and one. But first, let me tell you about BetOnline and BetOnline.net, who presents today's episode. They're your number one source for football betting info this season. Vikings covered against the Dolphins. Over-under did not cover. Um, but Arif covering the spread in the, uh, in the gambling contest, that was huge for him. You can get all those lines, and we follow them every single day at BetOnline.net. It is your top source for player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles. No Vikings game this week. You'll have to check out that Gophers line. They're at Penn State as four-and-a-half-point dogs. It's not just football. MLB playoffs, NBA and NHL starting up, MMA, boxing, and golf as well. The full array of sports betting info. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Um, 2016 Vikings started 5-0, and and then after that, 5-1. and So they're the last Vikings team to have this kind of start. Now, that team was propped up early in the year on unsustainably, insanely awesome defensive play, scoring defense, where they would literally score like a touchdown a game, and special teams scoring as well with Marcus Sherrills, and I want to say Cordero Patterson as well. Yeah. Um, so what is different, I guess, about this team? Is there any risk of a 2016-esque collapse um, in 2022? Arif, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, I referenced the 2016 Vikings a lot more to make a point than to think that there is a true comparison. I think that the offense is just better, uh, top to bottom. I think that the quarterback situation, kind of difficult to compare to like Sam Brett, but I think the quarterback situation is a little bit better. Um, and, and I think that the offensive line situation is significantly better. Uh, the running back situation is, you know, whatever. The receiver situation is better. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a better offensive team, and that was the issue with the 2016 team. Remember, they fired, not fired, let North Turner resign 
that season, right? Like, because that's how bad the offense was. And the defense, uh, I, obviously that defense was a lot better. It preceded one of the one of the best defenses we've seen in a long time, the 2017 Vikings defense. The defense was a lot better, but defense is just a lot less sustainable, constant, you know, reliable in terms of the way that it can help you. Um, now, the Vikings here are not being propped up by scoring from their defense. In fact, the Vikings are doing a remarkably poor job of converting their turnovers into points, right? Uh, you know, it, I think the, the turnovers from the Vikings defense going forward will probably go down because the level of play that they're generally at is not it doesn't track one-to-one -one with the number of turnovers they're generating. Some of those turnovers are occurring on special teams. We're, we're attributing them to the defense too. That's something to keep in mind. And I don't think that that's going to be sustainable. Um, but if the Vikings convert more of the scoring opportunities, which from a regression standpoint should happen, um, then the drop-off from one area and the improvement in the other area could balance out. I don't think that this is going to be a team that's going to maintain a five-and-one type record, but I think that this is a team ultimately 500 maybe a little bit better if they if they make the improvements that that we talk about them making in the previous segment uh and so no i don't think that they'll collapse and finish like eight and eight right like that team did right but i, I do think that they'll maybe enter the playoffs as paper tigers tied for second because... in uh turnover differential go ahead oh oh, oh wow wow yeah, that's um... that's not gonna keep up yeah the, the 2016 team was so much more extreme like they were that was wild. That was an insane run of of like lucky stuff. And I, I think the Vikings, they've gotten some calls and yeah, they've got like turnovers and stuff. There's some lucky stuff, but it's uh, more real than that. But like anything can happen here. <laughs> like if they stay the way that they are, if there is not a market improvement like what we were just talking about and they're in, they're, they're going to be in a one score game with the, with everyone then. And then anything can happen and you could get really unlucky and go three and eight like this 2016 team did, or they could get really lucky and they could win a whole bunch more. Or they, they could go 500 and be somewhere around 10, 11 wins going into the playoffs. I feel like anything can happen. I know that's not like a satisfying answer. It's like a non-answer, but I don't think this team has, it. it's the cardinal rule of the Vikings that you never get to know if they're good or not, ever. You're never allowed to know if they're good. <laughs> And we still don't know if they're good or not. And we never will. It's just, that's what God says. <laughs> On our deathbed. I feel bed, like in 2010, right? we knew. I don't know. Are they good or not? <laughs> a, a mere decade they ago. They take on the, the identity of their quarterback. God let us knew. Is Kirk yeah. good or not? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, really the ultimate question. <laughs> yeah. Beep. Flatlining. Beep. Oh. <laughs> well, Spinman. If if they do regress yeah. to like a 500 type team, like Arif says, if they go 500 the rest of the way, that still gets them 10 or 11 wins. And then we're probably having this question. We'll say, well, that's a pretty good number. Are they good? Can they make a playoff run? I mean, that that might be the question we're asking all season. Yeah, and I think after starting five and one, and then if you end up going 500 the rest of the way, yeah, you're gonna backdoor yourself into the playoffs, but you're probably not gonna feel great about it. Just feel like at that point you'll kind of know who the Vikings are. And remember at the beginning of the season, like that's that's kind of what a lot of people expected. Maybe like a nine and eight, 10 and seven kind of season, probably make the playoffs, probably get booted early in the playoffs. And you know, year one under KOC and Kwesi, chalk it up pretty solid about what we expected. 
pretty good year and, and a lot to build started. off of. I think when you look and compare it just to the 2016 team, I was just looking at a couple box scores. They opened this season up. Eric Kendricks picked six on the road against the Titans. Uh, Marcus Sherrill's had two punt returns in the first four games. That stuff's just not sustainable, mm-hmm. like we've <laughs> mentioned. And this team is at least, uh, yes, they're winning close games. Maybe it's not sustainable, but you know offensively and defensively, it seems like they are slowly, gradually getting better. And that's the one thing that you hope you can kind of lean your head on, especially going into this bye week here and getting this extra week of preparation. Hopefully they come out. And I still think maybe as bad as the communication, like Luke pointed out, on defense has been and a lot of the execution at times, there still was a lot to lean on here that maybe they are showing some improvements. You mentioned the the good communication between Patrick Peterson and Harrison Smith. Finally, um, 32 pressures, 13 quarterback hurries. We've been banging the table. Where's the pressure up front from this unit? Maybe this game against Miami is the game we can look back and circle and say, that's kind of where it all started for that defense. They started to slowly put it together and started to figure out and hopefully come out of this by the continue to kind of build off that. Helps to have a pass rush. That's for sure. Um, for second in the NFL. Daniel and Tadarius. Wow. Wow. Both were 90-plus yeah. on PFF with 17 combined pressures. That is pretty, pretty good. And the defense had to play like 78 plays in that heat, which is yeah. absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do a little rank Patrick em. Jones even um, got in on the action Patrick Jones nice getting in the see. mix, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, big day for him. Uh, uh, your guy, Luigi Villain, got in the mix as well. That's 17 so snaps, if you look back, I think, sure I think you're right. Field. <laughs> he was on there with a helmet, <laughs> running around, having fun. Six games in, and the Vikings are five and one by the skin of their teeth. I'm curious on your three biggest moments from the first six games of the season that have the Vikings where they are now. Like, what were the pivot points that got them here? I think I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off with this. Dan Campbell kicking a field goal on fourth and four might have changed the season, right? Because at that point, you're one and one, and you're looking awful against Detroit. And if Dan Campbell goes for it, the way they've been playing, they might end the game right there. The Vikings might be one and two. And I'm a big believer in the butterfly effect. I don't know what happens after that, but it might not be as pretty. Like, you go to London after that. You're so much more distraught and downtrodden. You're one and two. And I'm not sure you do enough to win by the skin of your teeth in that game, right? Like, so I I think that the Detroit sequence of events completely influenced the way the rest of the season went after that point with three victories that came following the Detroit win. Any thoughts on that? Uh, That was not on my list. That's actually a really good one. I like that a lot. Um, I, it's always tough to gauge kind of the, the, the direction that like the cascading butterfly effect will have. Um, but I think that that mm-hmm. one's interesting. Cause I think it also changes the course of the lion season with the one and four right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, dead in the yeah. water after the Patriots blanked them. Um, yeah, that team, that team has a totally different vibe if they end up, uh, picking up that game. So, uh, it changes the direction of the NFC North. I think in a really significant way too. What was on your list, Arif? Sounds like you prepared well for this. I'm excited. Uh, not super well, but I, I had some thoughts when I saw the email. Uh, <laughs> which I saw the email yesterday. I, I did think about it, right? Um, no, I, the, the, the two that came up immediately in my mind were, one, 
the first game of the season, Justin Jefferson's 36 yard touchdown. He should have been out at the five, right? Like just the, the way that that play mm. played out the angle of the defenders, the way that the Jefferson caught the ball, where the ball was um, just what the play was and muscling in that final five yards for the touchdown. One of the more impressive receiver plays um, that we've seen in a way that doesn't really show up in a highlight reel, like an impressive, like George Pickens style catch does, right? Like that was an incredible play to me. And I think that that's the kind of play that instills the confidence that a lot of fans have in this season. A lot of the Vikings have in themselves. I think also on the flip side of that, another Justin Jefferson play, the Darius Slay interception in the end zone against Justin Jefferson, um, which immediately was following a pass deflection that should have been an interception. I think that that demonstrated to the Vikings and uh, I would hope Vikings fans that the team is not elite right? The team is uh, winning. They're winning ugly. They can be good, uh, but the team is not a lead. They had a lot to fix. So those two were, I think, really critical moments for me uh, in terms of kind of deciding what this team was. And then I just kind of think the general tenor of this London game, right? I, I think that up against uh, a backup tackle, two, uh, two backup receivers, a backup quarterback, a backup running back, and a backup safety, right? The Vikings gutted out a win, right? great good position to be in you should not need mm -hmm. to get that out so uh those are kind of the three things that kind of define the season for me a really great moment that tells you kind of what the ceiling of the team is a really poor moment that tells you where the weaknesses of the teams are and then i think a pivotal moment that tells you what the team has demonstrated itself to be um i just want to briefly focus on your first point because when we have the argument in 10 years about Justin Jefferson versus Randy Moss, who was a greater Viking, who's a greater wide receiver. One of the things that will be a clear win for Jefferson is that he finishes plays so authoritatively. And Kirk Cousins yeah. talked about this early in the year too. He lays it on the line and he's never been hurt. So he's never had to change his style of play. Um, that Percy Harvin-esque almost. He goes Not quite after build, the end but zone. The aggression. And the first, he's got... Yeah. Yeah, just amazing, like, body awareness and field awareness, field position yeah. awareness, and he knows where he needs to go. He takes the angles to get there, and he tries his absolute hardest while protecting the football. Randy Moss is trotting out of bounds to avoid the hit. I mean, that's that was just Randy. Yeah. That was part of his, his makeup. Um, Justin is so impressive at that. And yesterday, he almost did it again. He almost scored yeah. on that crosser um, on a similar type mm -hmm. of play. Other, and other, a little bit of an Adrian Peterson plays. mentality. I, I just, I just yeah, like that. Like every play is a touchdown, Adrian that. Peterson thing. Yeah. yeah. The one last thing on that is that a lot of really tough, physical, gutted out, every yard player will get two yards on that play. Jefferson got five for the touchdown. I'd like that. Mm. That needs to be emphasized. Yeah. That's just incredible mm -hmm. to me. And like you said, Sam, but body awareness and body control are really big. And then the, the wiry strength that he has, like, it's just incredible. Yeah. I took a different approach. I went through the five wins and uh, sorted them by EPA gained. So I just took the swingiest EPA positive plays for the Vikings to see what led them to five and one. Yep. Uh, this is one of the nerdiest things I've done this year. Uh, <laughs> up at the top, and and there are some that like then they you know they didn't convert on it and they punted and that felt against the spirit of it. So I sort of picked from the topish five of that list. Um, at the top was actually Dalvin, uh, Dalvin cooks runaway touchdown in this game. Um, they were on like the 50 mm. and he just housed it. 
Uh, one I didn't expect to be up there, opening drive, Vikings at first or at third and goal from the 15-yard line in London, and Alexander Madison takes a screen home. They had, at that point, by EPA, less than three expected points, meaning not only were they expected to kick a field goal, but not guaranteed to get it. Uh, and taking that in and converting it into seven points was a huge deal. And then number three was the Green Bay touchdown Reef mentioned. So I, I wanted to honorable mention the walk-off touchdown versus Detroit. Um, getting that one in was a huge EPA swing. And also that kind of to Sam's point, it's a different version of, of Sam's same one, because that if that drive doesn't go there, um, if they aren't able to cash that in after Dan Campbell takes the, the, the field goal attempt, um, then yeah, I think we're having all those same conversations. Yeah, I had the Detroit game as well. What you mentioned, I actually had the Cousins three-play drive hits Osborne uh, coming off the ugly loss to the Eagles on Monday night. If you lose that game, think about the vibe and direction the team feels like it would be heading. And same for the Lions, too, if they end up winning that game, as already previously mentioned. I thought about that Saints game in London. You're tied 25-25, minute 37 left. You're in your own territory at the Vikes 30. Cousins with that dime on a quick drop back in the basket to Jefferson for 40 yards to set up, at least now you're in field goal range. I thought that play, again, huge difference between three and one and two and two. And then think about it, you don't have your bye after the London game. If you lose that game, what does the Bears game look like? And now all of a sudden things could, you know, get ugly quick. But I thought that Cousins throw was just awesome, uh, especially on Marshawn Lattimore too, with the Justin Jefferson drag, a little <laughs> swag at the end. Um, I love that one. And then, I know this game, even if we would have lost yesterday, you're still 4-2. and two. Things still feel pretty good just in general. 4-2, and two, I think a lot of people would be happy for that. But I still think that Harrison Smith knocking the ball out of Jalen Waddell's hands late in that game to stop the kind of Dolphins' mm -hmm. momentum, I thought that play was a huge part of, of obviously that game, but for them to get that win as well, too, was huge. Cosign. Cosign on the Waddle fumble. That was one of my uh, three, obviously, the Campbell decision. And then I went even a little further back in the Saints game, and I looked at the go-ahead TD drive. When you're down by three, the Saints had two penalties on third and 10 and third and eight, respectively. If the Vikings don't get those calls on either, in either instance, they're punting the football with like five or four minutes to go in that game, they might lose that game too. So there are just these turning points late in games where the Vikings have caught some breaks, whether it be officiating coaching and the important thing is is that they've done what's necessary to take advantage of those breaks they've been a very opportunistic late game football team which i think is ultimately why they're five and one they're finding creative ways to win fourth quarter comebacks special teams makes a big kick defenders stripping the football late in games um, all of that has contributed to kind of this uh bizarre five and one Vikings team and before we continue get into a little Kirk Cousins talk from his first six games uh, make sure you check out the NFL key predictions every Friday on Lockdown NFL Lockdown's local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the NFL weekend including Sunday and Monday night football plus betting advice from the field's leading experts bet online follow NFL key predictions every Friday on Lockdown NFL available on the Odyssey app YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts and we will have our bet online gambling update coming up here shortly and hear about Arif Hassan's triumph over the weekend um, we've ranked our three most pivotal moments of the first six games what do you think Kirk Cousins deserves in terms of credit 
for this five and one start. That is today's four minute drill. Let's get into it. Thanks for that, Matt. Um, four minute drill, Kirk Cousins. What percentage of the credit do you give him for the five and one start? Um, we'll begin with Luke Inman with one minute on the clock in the four minute drill. Well, the stats aren't great. 66% completion percentage, nine TDs, five interceptions, but multiple come from behind wins. That's probably what matters the most at the end of the day. He's far from the only reason why this team is five and one, so he can't get all the credit. Defense bailed him out yesterday. Special teams has helped them win a game or two this season. And Kirk has a great supporting cast around him, too. One of the best receivers in the game, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, probably the best offensive line he's ever played with. So all in all, great supporting cast. I say he's filled his role about what we expected from him to do this season. Plenty of things need to improve, far from perfect. But when the game's been on the line, Kirk puts those marching boots on, and he balls out 11 for 11, 140 yards, two touchdowns on the two touchdown drives yesterday. Something about the guy he flips on a switch deserves some praise. Not all of it, but in a game that probably overvalues the quarterback for good or bad, uh, Kirk should get his fair share of credit for this 5-1 start. I'll say 70, 72% of the credit. Is that what you asked, a percentage? You need a percentage? Yeah, I, and I have no clue 72. what percentage you would give a single player for exactly. a five and one start but 72, 72 is the answer you'd give him 72 Luke sets the bar okay on to yeah. a read this is analytics <laughs> this, is, this is how analytics works uh yeah so crook cousins ranks 19th in adjusted net yards per attempt a measure that includes yards and sacks as well as touchdowns and interceptions tracks them to historical quarterback performance and then also uh, ranks 17th in combined completion percentage over expected and EPA. This tells us that Kirk Cousins is playing like an average quarterback, at least against the competition that he has, despite the fact that the Vikings rank fifth in pass block win rate. He has Justin Jefferson. He has Adam Thielen. He has KJ Osborne, not using them enough, in my opinion. And also, uh, you know, th this is a situation where, you know, yeah, of course, he's, he's got these fourth quarter comebacks. That's great. They should not be in those positions. The Vikings are one of the worst in the league at red zone conversion rate. I think Kirk Cousins has done an okay job, but we'd be remiss not to point out the problems and the opportunities that he's missed to get here. I think he's not getting, he shouldn't get credit for special teams turnovers and defensive turnovers. I'm going to peg him at like 55%. Luke Braun. I'm working on such a different framework because I, I feel like quarterback at best is responsible for like 30 to 40% of a win. So it's going to be a way lower number than everybody anyways. Um, the but defense has negative different. EPA, right? So the, to make up for it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think you have to take this game by game. And that's in and of itself a comment on Kirk Cousins, who's such a week-to-week -week proposition. But if you look at the Green Bay the game, the Chicago game, he gets a ton of that credit. He was awesome in those. If you look at the Philadelphia game, well, he kind of gets credit for that loss. At least that's what I argued after that game. Um, you know, Detroit and this game, I this Miami game, I kind of said, eh, neutral. The game sort of happened to him, and it was decided by other factors. And in the New Orleans game, I, I don't think he gets much credit at all for that win. Um, so it's a game-to-game -game thing. So I would say if a, if a quarterback is normally responsible for, like a good quarterback gets 40% of the credit, a bad quarterback gets 20% of the credit, I give him like 33. So I'm going to nudge Kirk just over the 50% threshold and give him 51% because 
I think that percentage of of responsibility increases when you are down to, to a final drive situation. Like, okay, agnostic of whatever has happened previously, you are in this position, and the quarterback has the most control over it in this setting where you need to score. You probably need to pass the ball to do it, and the quarterback is responsible for the outcome in large measure. And Kirk Cousins has come through in virtually all of those situations, um, but there's still so much more he can do. He's got sub-50 QBRs in four of the six games. Luke mentioned the two he was good in, the Bears and the Packers, and he gets full credit for that. I think the, the, the encouraging part is that Kirk Cousins usually has stretches that are better than what we've seen him do in this four-game winning streak. Maybe it's not Kirktober this year. Maybe it's Kirk Gember in November. Remember, remember. 51%. You should pronounce the V really in that. The I landing. think that that would work a lot better. Kirk Ember? Yeah, Kirk Ember, you're probably right. right? Ember. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very clever. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> um, Bye, Luke. <laughs> we've lost Luke. I'll be back. <laughs> Tell me when Sam He's gets diving. <laughs> so when I was gone, did you guys decide how a reef is going to get punished for going in the red in our gambling contest? Was that discussed? Because I was I, not. I believe notified. we've settled on the quarterback combine. I thought that was the loser punishment. So no, yeah. So that's the loser of the oh, overall contest. I thought that was okay. Yeah. But because a reef dipped into the red, he went negative. And had to to you know get another loan basically, um, that's going to need to occur. That. that being said, <laughs> Arif has a massive week in our gambling contest. He goes two and zero with nine hundred dollars on the line. He bets Jesus. on the Vikings and covers. He bets on the Buck Steelers under, and covers. Goes two and zero and takes the lead. From the depths of Just uh, bankruptcy, like we wow. knew this was going to happen. He kept up. It's incredible. It's, it's like I had we knew. a vision in mind of how to gamble in these situations and then executed on it. Crazy. And if you at home are in the negative in your gambling habits, just keep <laughs> doubling down. <laughs> That's a name was Luke, advice to you. Uh, <laughs> you went zero and four. Your name was Luke. You did not get a game right over the weekend. Both Lukes went zero and two. Should work on that. And Sam just keeps treading water, slow and steady. One and one. Should not have bet on the Packers though. That was dumb. So Arif. Oh, and you're lucky too. I think we discussed this, Sam. You're lucky too because mm -hmm. your your original over under was Luke Brown's over under, but he already took it. It was the Panthers Rams over. Mm -hmm. But he already took that. So mm -hmm. your second was the Bills Chiefs under, and you hit that. So without that, you would have been 0 and 2. So that saved you. And big thanks to Tom You're Schreier welcome. for executing the bets correctly, too. Tom Schreier coming up big as my um, consigliere in this case. Not often we get to so, say that about Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dependable, Mr. Reliable. <laughs> He'll be at um, lifetime in eight minutes on that bicep trash <laughs> machine. He's consistent. 
I love them. <laughs> like, comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Locked On Sports Minnesota. If you leave comments, not only can you tell us why our opinions stink, but you can also help other people find the show by leaving comments. That helps. Um, like the video and subscribe to the channel, please. Locked On Sports Minnesota. Uh, let's get into our party fouls for week six, and then we will wrap the show for today. Let's do it. If it's not Gasicki's gritty, then it's the wrong party foul. I think I think it took off as a negative because his last gritty was so bad. Mm -hmm. It just kind of piled on this one kind of melds together and now people just don't want him to do it now he's going to do it more because people don't want him to do it it's like a whole mm -hmm. bit now his wife wants him to mm -hmm. stop which is fair um yeah who's his he wife? stretched it out so long like they cut off of him and then they pan back to him and he's on the sideline going up the sideline still going the sideline yes My he goodness. kept it going yeah. a long time um Man. And yeah, not great. Yeah, I changed everything I said. The Dolphins absolutely deserve to lose that game. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. wonder if maybe that irked some of the Vikings the wrong way over there and kind of. Well, they started uh, doing the interception celebration. Yeah. The interception the, celebration tells yeah. me that it did. <laughs> um, did you guys see the uh, Patriots Browns matchup? Browns muffed a punt, recovered by this undrafted rookie, Brendan Schooler. After making the play, <laughs> he know. comes over to the sideline, over to Bill Belichick, oh. maybe the greatest coach of all time, and he tries to give Belichick the ball, like, as a gift. Like, you know, like a like a puppy who, you know, grabs a, a stick from the woods and <laughs> comes like back a cat up to bringing heart, a like, here, Dad, here. Feeling secondhand embarrassment. Belichick absolutely stonewalled him. Like, literally looked at the ball, looked at him, and goes... <laughs> what and turns back away it was maybe the best moment of the nfl season thus far as far as oh, party fouls go it was great oh. if you haven't seen it yeah go check it out it's on twitter cringe mm -hmm. just really through the telling of the stories just oh. and like another assistant coach had to come over and like come on dude don't don't talk to him come on let's walk over here now this is your spot now come on it was bad it was pretty fun is, is joe check judge the special teams guy over there or what is joe judge doing over there Ooh, that's a great question um uh, oh that would explain the vibe <laughs> uh offensive assistant and quarterbacks coach okay never mind yeah, um yeah. no my my party foul is uh related to the people who fight with me on twitter it's uh all of you who fought with me on twitter the party foul is on you for being wrong uh <laughs> no but actually it's uh you know i, I normally if uh if if people misinterpret me i think that that uh, is a product of my inability to communicate, and I think about ways I can do that better. I disagree this time. I think I communicated it perfectly, and you're all wrong. Uh, the reason is because uh, people have uh, interpreted this tweet to talk about, or a, a series of tweets. I did keep going. I did kind of keep digging. Uh, a series of tweets about how the Vikings should have played better, should have done more, and that this is a concern going forward as I didn't like that the Vikings won. Look, I don't, honestly, I don't care that much. Covering a Super Bowl team sounds like it'd be fun. So maybe, yeah, I, I prefer that they win instead of lose. So it doesn't really bother me that they won. What bothers me is people interpreting questions or concerns about the Vikings' future sustainability as if I am concerned that the Vikings, you know, should e e like actually be two and three. No, I don't think that that's how football works. Uh, what I'm saying 
is that there are sustainability concerns, which I can detail uh, it more in an article if we really need to get to that point, um, that tell us that the Vikings will not be able to continue this level of play. Not that the Vikings are doomed, not that the Vikings are secretly bad, I definitely don't think that, but rather that the Vikings should do better against it. They, they've played two backup quarterbacks to like one score games, right? Like this is this is something that a team that is five and one in theory should be better than. And and the fact is the Vikings are five and one. They get to keep those in their pocket. You know, they don't they don't ask how you win at the end of the year. That's fine. But going forward, they're gonna play more like a five hundred team than a five and one team. And if you're not concerned about the Vikings from that perspective, then you don't even believe the Vikings. Like that's that like I have I have seen organizations after wins talk about the things they need to correct, and I've seen the Vikings talk about things they need to correct at party foul on a reef. And the the Vikings are clearly much Fighting more on Twitter. serious. Party foul. Yeah. Uh the Vikings are clearly much more serious about their own concerns than a lot of these teams that are like, Yeah, we won, but we need to clean some stuff up. I've seen that all the time from a bunch of football teams and the mood is way different when the Vikings talk about it. They know they're escaping with the skin of their teeth. And I am glad that they know this is a good attitude to have, but it is so weird mm -hmm. that fans don't believe them when they say that. That was impassioned. Thanks, Arif. Um, real quick, before we, we close, is there more credibility in the win <laughs> because it was against <laughs> Teddy? Just ate all of Luke Braun's time. Party foul on me again. Party foul on Sam for forgetting me. <laughs> wow. You've changed, man. Well, we'll just keep going. Is there more? No, go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to do a thing on how we should expect Patrick Peterson to be better at the gritty because he is an LSU legend, but now I'm going with this. Yeah. Party foul on Sam. Party foul on Sam. <laughs> and party foul on Arif for taking all my time anyways. That's that, now, that, now that's it. Yeah, I'll take it. This is way funnier. More credibility beating Teddy, who didn't practice, or if they'd beaten Skylar Thompson, who did? More credibility if they'd beaten the, the quarterback that the team wanted to play. Yeah. Yeah. The, if they had yeah, – the, the Dolphins lost in large part because they could not continue with the game plan they had prepared mm -hmm. because Teddy Bridgewater is just a different quarterback. We talk about it a little bit on the postcast, like he's a singles hitter, I think was the way you put it, which is good. Um, mm -hmm. And that's not who Skylar Thompson is. Yeah, Thompson they had to good. change everything on the fly. After Mike McDaniel complained so much over the week about like, gosh, we just need to have a quarterback that practices all week and plays the game. And then it was like still denied this. The Dolphins absolutely would have performed better if Skylar Thompson could play the whole game. Yeah, he was looking sharp right away, and, and it makes a difference. Everybody assumed, oh, he looked you know, pretty bad against the Jets. Well, again, give Mike Daniels and him a week of preparation, like you just said, Luke, uh, and, and things look a lot different. And he did look sharp right away. Against the Jets on the sideline, they were like getting rid of plays. On the, yeah, yeah. On, like, they were just like, yeah, that's not the game. We can't do that. We can't do that. <laughs> nope. Like, didn't matter. Nope. Yeah, no, absolutely. Tyreek Hill sure. over the middle, over and over and over and over and over mm. and over. Is that 12 overs? <laughs> Jordan Hicks versus Tyreek Hill. Who's going to win that matchup? All right. That was a fun show. Um, the Vikings are 5-1, and one, folks, and we have plenty to talk about on Thursday about these first six games. 
We'll talk about sort of uh, the, the self-scout that needs to occur for the Vikings and, hey, the return of name drop on Thursday. If you don't know what that is, make sure to tune in to the Minnesota Football Party. For Luke Inman, here on Superior Sports Talk, Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings, Arif Hassan, read him at Pro Football Network. We'll all be back on Thursday along with Ron Johnson. I'm Sam Ekstrom of the Ron Johnson Show and Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Thank you so much for watching. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on the Minnesota Football Party on Lockdown Sports Minnesota.